unless the Lord builds the house, who build it, labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go, to, go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage, a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Hear the word of the Lord. You may be seated. You may be seated. <clears throat> and the sport of basketball is widely recognized for its signature moves by various superstars. When I say signature moves, I mean these moves are done by specific players, and when these moves are performed, it captivates the audience. It has them in awe because when these moves are performed, it looks so smooth, so beautiful. But on the other end, when these moves are performed, it leaves the opponent defenseless, almost devastated because it feels like it's pointless to even try to stop them. You had Hakeem, the dream, Elijah one, with his famous dream shake. You had Kareem Abdul-Jabbar with his sky hook. And of course, you had MJ, Michael Jordan with his famous fadeaway jumper. Couldn't nobody touch it. But as one superstar, who had a signature move, or should I say, a signature mentality that set him apart from all the rest. The past few, the past month or so, we as a sports world and the world in general has been mourning the tragic loss of Kobe Bean Bryant. Lost his life for him as Gianna and nine others, or seven others. All 20,000 to 30,000 came to the Staples Center to memorialize Kobe. Many stories were shared, many uh, interactions of them with Kobe were given. But the one thing that stood out at all those things that were shared was Kobe's mentality. You may have heard of this mentality. It's been coined the Mamba mentality. You see, the Mamba mentality is a mentality that when you work at something, you give your 100%, you go all out in whatever you set your mind to, all with the purpose of becoming the best you can be. You see, Kobe didn't necessarily have a signature move that he will be remembered for, but he has a signature mentality of how he worked every single day, and people came to remember him. And then when I stopped watching the memorial service, I was left with this one fact. It's that your work, it speaks. Your work tells a story about you. Have you considered this about your own work? How do you view the work that you have to do in your own life? And when I say work, I want to be clear. 
Work is anything that you put effort towards, right? So it could be a project at your house. It could be with your own family. It could be at your job. It could be at the church. Make no mistake, you're working. How do you view it? Because like I said, when you think about your work, it speaks and it tells me a lot about who you are. But if you look closely, when your work speaks, it tells me a lot about whose you are. We've been going through a sermon series called On the Way. It's been covering the Psalm of Ascent. It covers from Psalm 120 to 124, I mean 134, and it's roughly around 15 psalms. But these psalms were uniquely made. They were uniquely designed for the people of Israel as they will travel on up to Jerusalem to celebrate God and they will worship God. And while they were traveling on their way to Jerusalem, they would break out in song and sing one of these 15 songs along the way. So this morning, we're going to look at Psalm 127. And the main point of this psalm, you don't hear nothing else. The main point of this psalm is that there's a right way to work, and there's definitely a wrong way to work. You see, it's in your work where your sin can be magnified. You see, it's in your work where in the crucible, your faith matures. It's a good way and a bad way to work. And Solomon, who wrote this song, he's going to give us some insight into our work. And I want to paint it in three points. If you're writing notes down, this is your outline. Here's the three points. The first point is work starts with God. Okay? Work starts with God. Secondly, we're going to see that work without God is in vain. Work without God is in vain. And then thirdly, we're going to see that work with God leaves a legacy. It leaves a legacy. I want to title my sermon this morning, A Work That Will Last. A Work That Will Last. Let's pray, and then we'll continue going, all right? Bow with me. Lord, Jesus, Holy Spirit, Holy Trinity, Godhead, we we invite you into this place. We're so grateful that we have to come together around your word, around your name. Lord God, we want to know about our work, because our work is essential for our life. So God, speak to us. Lord God, may I decrease so that you may be increased. May they not hear my words or, or hear me, but they hear you, the very words of you, God. For after all, that's all we need to hear from is you. So, God, do what you need to do. Comfort, convict, but most importantly, God, I say it all the time, change us. We need to be changed to look more and more like your son. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Now, before we move any forward, any further, excuse me, I want to remind you the context of what we're dealing with in Psalm 127, right? Remember, the Israelites are tracking their way up to Jerusalem, right? They're moving up to Jerusalem to worship God. They were all scattered out. They were not all in one place. There were tribes all around Jerusalem. 
and they were all on their way. And then as they would meet each other along the way, they would, I can, if I use my holy imagination, they would have conversations with themselves. They would say, hey, where are you coming from? Hey, we all going to Jerusalem. You want to come with us? Some traveled long distances. Some probably had great difficulty that they experienced on their way to Jerusalem. And like humans do, we like to share our experiences. Man, I traveled 15 miles to get to Jerusalem. <laughs> you travel 15, I travel 30 miles. You travel 30, I travel 90 miles to get to Jerusalem. We all going to praise the Lord. Amen, amen. But just like any person, you share an experience or a difficult time, another person feels like they need to share theirs. And have you ever had that friend that when you share something about going on in your life, they feel like they got to up up the ante? Have you ever had that person, right? It's so annoying, right? <laughs> but they feel like they got to show you up to let you know that their suffering went a lot worse. And it becomes a comparison game. As they're traveling along the way, they're going to worship God. And while they're, before this gets too far, somebody reminds them of Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds. Unless the Lord watches over the city. And this brings us to our first point. Work starts with God. Look at verse 1 again. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. You see, what Solomon is doing right here, he's trying to make sure to reset our mind when it comes to our work. You see, when it comes to your work, it is necessary for God to be in it. It is necessary that all work, everything that you do, that it starts with God. We see this in the beginning of creation, right? In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, what does it say? In the beginning, God created. He did something. He set something in motion. He put forth an effort. That is the Bible's pronouncement of God's work in, right there in the beginning. He worked for six days. That was God's work week. As a matter of fact, if you look throughout the history of Scripture, the pages of Scripture, and even your own life, you will see God is always at work. Amen? Many times you'll see God be a rescuer. That's God working. And many times we'll see God comfort those who are hurting. That's God working. And the very act of your salvation is God at work. God is always at work, even when you don't see it. I love it when Philippians 2, he says this in verses 12 and 13, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but more in my absence. Here it is. Work on your own salvation with fear and trembling. And here it is. For it is God who works in you both to will and work for his good pleasure. You starting to see the trend here? You see, the, even the will and even the work that you have for God starts with God. God is working in you. When you want to pray, 
That's God working in you. When you feel the need to read your script, to read the scriptures, it's God working in you. That even, even the faith that you have to believe in God, that is God working in you. You see what I say when God is necessary in all things? Think of it like this. Work, think of your work like this. Think of your work like a pie. I've used this illustration before, but it fits so perfectly. So hear it again. Think of your work like a pie. And that represents all your work. Now, no matter how you divide it up, it still equals your work. You may divide it up, okay, I'm going to spend this much effort on my family, this much effort in my job, this much effort in my community, right? And if you were to take a slice of that pie, what's at the bottom of that pie? The crust. No matter what, how big or small the slice is, what's always going to be there is the crust. And the crust is God. You see every turn and every effort that you have, God is in it always. And it's just as if you were to take the crust away from the pie, it would cease to be pie. And just as much as you were to take God out of your work, you would cease to have his blessing and his hand on your work. God is absolutely necessary. But not only that, work is a good thing. Work is God bringing us into what he's already doing. That means even the smallest direction that you give for him, that's God who's already at work bring you into that. So the question is, do you believe God is necessary. And some of you may say yes. But if, I was to, if you were to take a black light over your heart, the real reality is that may not be true. Whenever you start a new project, do you consider God? Whenever you start a new relationship or an engagement or a marriage, do you consider God and what he wants and how he wants you to conduct yourself in that relationship? How do you consider beauty? How do you consider value? What is good? Justice. How do you consider community? All those things are undergirded with the truth of God. They flow from God. God is working in each and every one of those things. How dependent on God do you feel daily? We have to train our hearts to consider these things because they don't come naturally. If anything, our hearts are trying to get, push God away. We have to train our hearts to consider God in every decision and moment that we have. It all starts with God. Work starts with God. But then the second thing that we're going to see is that work without God is in vain. Look at verse 1 and 2 again with me. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain, unless the Lord watches over the city. The watchman stays awake in vain. Verse 2, it is in vain you rise up early and go to late to rest. Go late to rest. Eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. I love Solomon because he's pretty straightforward in this song, right? He said, yes, work is a, is a good thing, but without God, it's in vain. You see, if God is not in it, 
nothing will come of it. It will be fruitless. It will be empty. Notice, he uses the word vain three times. And we all know when somebody repeats themselves, they're really trying to emphasize they need you to get it. I need you to understand this. He says, whether you build a city or watch over a city, no matter what it is, it is fruitless without me in it. It will not bring you peace. In fact, it probably will bring you more stress. It will bring you more frustration. It will probably bring you more anxiety. And we all know once the anxiety takes a hold of your body enough and your mind enough, it will start to affect your body and your mind. And then soon after what comes is it starts to affect your relationships. He says when you separate God and your work, you're carrying on a burden that you're not meant to carry. And essentially what you're saying is like, God, I got this. I'm independent of you. I'm self-sufficient. I don't need you, God. Is this not our culture? Think about the way what we celebrate here in America. What is the mark of maturity? Typically, it's the more you, the more you, the less you need people that shows that you're more mature. The reason we keep trying to advance our technology is because we're trying to need people less. We're saying we don't need it. We got it on our own. We got it on our own. And matter of fact, if you were to approach a person and say, you know what? All the accomplishments, all the things that you have, you know, God is the one that gave that to you. And some would probably have anger if you ever were to assert God in their life in that way. What do you mean? I worked them. I worked the long hours. I built this. I did this. I did that. God didn't have nothing to do with that. I did this. And we celebrate that. We clap about that. But what Solomon's saying here, when you take that approach, all you're doing is hurting yourself. One summer, I went to a youth camp, and it was in, in Panama City Beach. And at this youth camp, I was one of the leaders, and I got my crew of guys that I was going to be mentoring that day. And then we, you know, went to the beach, so we all go to the beach one day. So a group of us head down there, and there's one young man by the name of Noah who had a lot of life, a lot of, he's goofy, he was just real Really like life of the party guy. It come down to the beach and everybody's kind of doing their own thing. And then Noah stalls away to the side and he starts his uh, building a sandcastle. He starts building a sandcastle and I mean, the sandcastle was pretty elaborate. It had the kind of the moat around it. It had the different layers on it. I mean, my man Noah really put in some time and some effort and some work into the sandcastle. Noah runs up to me and says, Mr. Brand, I got to use the restroom. Can I go use the restroom? I'm like, sure, right. Noah, go. Go use the restroom. It's all right. Go. Within minutes, there was another group of guys who were playing football. And one of the guys overthrew a pass. And that football darted right in the middle of Noah's sandcastle. And it crumbled right there. 
Noah come running back from the restroom and he gets to his sandcastle to find out that it's in shambles. Poor Noah. You should have saw his face. That once excited young boy was mad. <laughs> he was so mad. He said, who are they? Pour them out. Let me go get them. I said, hold on, no, no, don't do that. We don't need to do that. But I feel like a lot of us may be just like Noah. That we're building sand castles at our jobs. You've been in sand castles in your marriages with your kids. At your work. And we're devoid of God. And we do all this work, put all this effort to build these things up. And what Solomon is saying, it's going to crumble. And you're going to be left there with a sad face, knowing that you put all the time and effort in there only to not see it last. Not only that, he says, it's in vain, but look, you've got to have a balance when it comes to your work. There must be a balance when it comes to your work. Because trust, here, it doesn't say unless the Lord builds, the city won't be built at all. It don't say that at all. Because in fact, the house gets completed. The city is still being washed over, right? And because of that, he said, yes, I've made you to work. Work is a good thing. You're supposed to do that but I also made you to rest. We were made to rest. See, God is always at work. And sometimes, this is what I want some of you guys to do today. We say we said a benediction, you go home, or even later this week, what I want you guys to do is take a nap. Amen. Just take a nap. Yeah. <laughs> Just take a nap. Sometimes the most godliest thing that you can do is go to sleep. Go to sleep. It's okay. It's okay. Listen, God worked in six days and then he rested on the seventh. Amen? Why did God do that? It wasn't because God was tired. God is all-knowing. God is, doesn't have uh, energy. He can go on and on and on. He did that as an example to us that we were made to rest. Follow his example. You were made to rest. Because when we take a rest or when we take a Sabbath, it's doing two things. It's giving you the relief from your work, but it's also giving the, it's realized the realism that you're not God that you're not God and you can take a break. Resting is a statement that I believe God. I believe in the gospel. And because he's always at work, he's always doing something. Therefore, I can lay my head on my pillow and rest easy. Work needs balance. And sometimes if you find yourself battling whether you, can, whether you can rest or not, I'll say examine your heart because there may be some idolatry there. 
there may be some sin there. When you're starting to believe you on stuff that if I don't do it, it won't happen. If I don't do it, this will not happen. No. God is saying to you, go to sleep. I got it. Do you trust me? I love what one author who gives some good insight to this. He says this. He says, we cannot save ourselves by our own work. And if we use our work as an attempt to satisfy our anxieties about our own security and welfare, our work will kill us spiritually as well as physically. We cannot justify our existence by our work, and we shouldn't try to because we don't need to. We have already been justified in Christ. We're liberated to honor God in our work as an integral part of our Christian discipleship and sanctification. You see, Jesus labored for us so we can freely work in him. Jesus is the one who builds the house, not us. We don't build a house for him. So when you think about the finished work of Christ, how does that apply to your work today? In what areas do you find yourself prone to overwork? What areas in your life do you find yourself struggling to find rest? Jesus works free us. That's why Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, for I will give you what? Rest. It means balance. So we see, work starts with God. He's necessary. If you work without God, it's in vain. And then lastly, we're going to see that work with God leaves a legacy. It leaves a legacy. Look at verses 3 through 5 with me. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. Should not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Now, it's going to seem like Solomon's going to switch gears on us. He starts talking about work and unless the Lord builds, and then he starts talking about children. How those two things correlate? How those two things interact with one another? Well, he doesn't. He doesn't switch gears. Actually, he's given an example of what he means of God working and God using your work. You see, work is supposed to have an impact not just in our lives, but past our lives, right? Past our lives. He says children are a heritage from the Lord, a reward in our homes. In other words, children are a blessing. Children are a gift from God. They are a reward from God. And I think it's good that we adjust our minds not to let the culture set our minds and set our our attitudes on how we should receive children. Sometimes in our culture, we look at children as just as a bank statement. I mean, excuse me, as a bill. I've been tempted to think the same myself because I just paid it yesterday. (laughs) But no, God is saying, no, 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 Brandon, they're not bills. They're they're blessings. And a lot of times we determine on how many kids we want to have based off a bill instead of trusting in the Lord. And sometimes it's wise to do that. But what he's saying overall, if you have a negative attitude towards kids, he says, 
Let that not be. Children are a blessing from God. Count yourself blessed if the Lord has given you the opportunity to have kids. And, then, and I want to make sure I, I mention this too. Because I know there may be some in here who are not physically able to have kids. Know that having kids is not just a biological deal. Because you can have kids through adoption. You can have kids through mentorship and discipleship. God, I tell you right there, right now, my spiritual father means just as much to me as my biological father does. And when you have the opportunity to pour your life out into someone and to raise them up in the Lord, that's your kid. You care for them as such. You think about them in the same way. And when the Lord says you had those opportunities, God has shown you great favor. So kids are not only gifts, but kids have a purpose as well. Notice how Solomon describes children. He likens them to an arrow in the hand of a warrior. That's an interesting picture. See, arrows were made to be sent out to inflict their damage or to make their impact, right? It's not like a sword or a knife where if somebody comes, it's close range weapon. Where if they come up on you, you can, you can do your deal. No, he says arrows are meant to be sent out to make an impact. And it's not like, you got to think about this is not, think about this in Solomon's eyes and day. It's not like we go to the sporting goods store and pick up a pack of arrows and a bow and we're good to go. But during that time, they're making their own arrows. They have to be gathered up. You see, an arrow has to be shaped and has to be sharpened for it to have the impact that you want it to have. And in the same way, kids have for the same purpose. The reason God blesses us with kids is because he wants us to shape and to sharpen them for the impact that they will have on the kingdom of God and to take down the kingdom of Satan. Shape and sharpen. You don't just, they don't happen by happenstance. It takes an intel, it takes a a diligent effort, which implies work. It doesn't just happen. You have to work at it. You have to really put elbow grease on this in them for they'll get the return for you to see the impact that God has for them. Effort. I love what Derek Kittner says. He says, it's not untypical of God's gift that they, kids, that they have the, their first be liabilities or at least responsibilities. Before they become obvious assets, they're, great, they're greater than their promise. The more likely these sons will be a handful before they will be a quiverful. <laughs> if you're a parent or if you have ever brought someone up, you know that kids could be a handful. But what he's saying, the reward blessing in that it's going to outlast you it doesn't just stop here and when he says I love it he says you will be blessed and you will not be put to shame you won't be put to shame for you're leaving a legacy 
that will live way past your existence here on earth. I know this scripture all too well. I felt that. I stand here in today and that. When one of my spiritual fathers passed away this past November, and with tears in my eyes, knowing the end, knowing the work that he has poured into me to allow to put me in the place I am today, you see Carrie D. Wesley right here, not just Brandon Porter. And the same goes with your kids, that when they're out in the world making their impact, they not just, it's not just them, but they're seeing you. And when the enemy tries to whisper in your ear, you fail. You didn't do what God called you to do. That's why it says at the gate, your kids are standing there right there by and saying, no, Father, you did it. And we stand here and you will not be put to shame. It's a blessing. Either Schaefer the wife of the great theologian Francis Schaeffer tells a story of between him and their son Frankie having a bit of a heated discussion. This discussion gets pretty, gets pretty animate. Francis is getting, getting beside himself. Frankie is getting beside himself. But then it hits Francis at one the reason Frankie's acting the way he's acting is because I haven't spent enough time with him. So immediately, Francis says, you know what? In 10 days, the next 10 days, I'm going to cancel all my work appointments. I'm going to cancel all my, my, my work meetings. And we're going to go to Florence and Venice, Italy. And we're going to look at all the great museums. And we're going to talk about life. Frankie looks at his dad weirdly and says, Dad, you can't do that. I mean, you got to work. I understand you're a pastor. This, you can't do that. Are you really going to take off 10 days to take me to Italy? And with a very solemn face and a very serious face, Francis Schaefer just says, of course, son. Edith Schaefer coins that day as being the turning point in their relationship. What's the moral of the story? Well, the moral of the story is we are going to Italy. No. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. We're not going to Italy, unless you can. Take me with you if you can. But uh, no, the moral of the story is that what you do, how you spend your time, what you work at, your effort, it speaks volumes and it can change lives. There's another story of a man that put in some work. You see, this man, he left his throne room of heaven to come follow the path that God had laid before him. You see, this man, this man lived the perfect life with no stain, no blemish, no sin, no fault. You see, this man, on early Friday afternoon was put on a cross for our sin, your sin, my sin, where he took nails in his hands and his feet and a crown of thorn on his head. And it says the cup of wrath that God had for all sin was drained on him until he died. You see, this man was placed in a grave and early Sunday morning, he rose up with all power in his hand. 
completing the work that God the Father had laid before him. You may know this man. This man is Jesus Christ. That anyone that places their faith in Jesus Christ says your work, it no longer belongs to you. It belongs to him. And his work, he said it on the cross. It is finished. Any work that you do in his name, it will not be in vain. It will not be empty. It will not be fruitless. It will bear much fruit that will last way before you. And on that day when we meet Jesus, he's going to present us before the Father. He says, Father, this is all I came to work for. Will you accept them? He says, my son, enter into your glory. Good job, my good and faithful servant. And the same could be said for us today, that when we put our effort and our work for Jesus, we can enter into glory. Where God will say, enter in, my good and faithful servant. You won't be put to shame. It will be a blessing, and it will outlast you. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for work. Thank you for the dignity of work. Thank you for allowing us